welcome to another episode of Chef Venture Podcast. And here with me is my co-host, Chetan. Hi. Hi, Mike. Say hello, Chetan. I, I, I and, will say, I'll say hello to you, Mike, <laughs> and the audience. Hello, everybody. Nice to, nice to hear you. Nice to uh, have you nice here again. Nice to see you. <laughs> I wish we could hear you. Yeah. Go on. Yep. And uh, what, this week we're going to be talking about, we're going to be visiting some ingredients in the sea, which is mm. quite often very popular in, well, not quite often, always very popular in Japan. Very. And I think we came onto this topic because ourselves were wondering how are these products, which are generally, or maybe at least for you, it's sea urchins, right? Sea urchin, uni. For me, it's a fascinating me, it's, world um, of uh, sea urchin gonads. Nice gonads, and for you, it's uh... and for me, I think I I chose this topic because uh, we were talking about it last week, obviously. But then also, it's you know something that I can eat all year round in Japan. Oh yeah, which and I've never I've never once stopped to think. You know these these fish aren't producing eggs all year round. You know, <laughs> so how is it? How is it that? It's just a, a yearly supply of these yeah. products. You know? yeah. So did a little bit of research on it. And today... On, on fish eggs. Can, yeah. On fish eggs. And, you know, it doesn't sound like it's going to be that interesting a topic, but I didn't think bananas were going to be that interesting <laughs> last week. <laughs> Mainly just because... Yeah, just you know, because sometimes when you listen to Chetan, it just goes just goes on forever and just gets really boring. Well, rest but, assured, um... <laughs> I am going to go on forever today about. See, I I I actually delayed this podcast starting because I was too busy reading about sea urchins, um, because they are mm. that interesting. They are that interesting. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and, <laughs> oh, wow. and and fish eggs. Don't give too much away. They also they taste they taste really good and they're very interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. So. so Today it's all about they, uh, the human consumption I think, I think of eggs are, and gonads from the yeah, sea. I think they're not probably for a lot of people. They might they're kind of odd ingredients as well, right? They're not like something that you would that people would just identify as like, oh, you know, hear that and they're like, oh, I want to eat that as well. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's going to be part of the yeah. challenge is to is to explain why they're so yummy and why they're so priced. Um, so as, as, as ingredients in Japan, but also really around the world at the moment, they're unusual, um, but they're not mm. so unusual in Japan. And I think that's, mm. that's, that's, that's the key little insight to let you know that they are pretty and, tasty. And the price is also uh, an interesting, I think that's also how we came on to choose this topic as well, because the prices are, are changing in, uh, at the moment because of, uh, of what's going on in, uh, in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't mm. know if you wanna if you wanna um, get on to explaining that a little bit, or uh, I don't know, like um, explaining. Well, a few well the first, uh, we got a couple of clarifications from uh, last week. Um, mm -hmm. So there were a couple of points last week that you know, kind of like brushed, glossed over because we weren't too sure. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to speak uh, for historians out there, and you know, get like people out there who, like, <laughs> what the hell, are you, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so there were some well, points which we purposefully glossed over. So, mm. for our viewers' uh, interest and the clarification, there were a couple of things that I wanted to just clarify, and just um, I just did. Won't take long. Just quick research. I think last week we talked about uh, Polynesians and ancient 
mm. trades and where I specifically talked about one how old um how how many years ago were people in the Americas and also about a pyramid in Indonesia um yeah and so and it is it is quite fascinating actually so this there is this um it's it's kind of disputed but so i i told i said that there was a 14000 year old pyramid in java and its name yeah. is if anyone wants to look it up gunan padang okay um i just spelled that maybe i'll look it up now g g oh crap uh i think it's g u n a n maybe a g at the end of that uh, maybe <laughs> gunan, not okay and then gunan gunan or gunang oh, uh, padang padang megalithic site yeah yeah so it's disputed though because um uh, I, i mean, mean it's okay so it's it's uh, it's i think what the idea is that or, or what the current um, hypothesis is is that it was built on a pre-existing hill and there are three layers to it the oldest mm-hmm. the topmost layer if you go there i haven't been there but if you see the photos of the top there are all these stones all over it and i tell you what i see um, and it's like a terrorist yeah it yeah, looks I, like a pyramid right yeah that, that like, that's the crazy thing like um yeah exactly it looks it's it's a hill and yeah. uh, it's covered with greenery and farms but the hill has, mm. it looks like a square based pyramid it's got four mm. flat sides mm. um and mm. four flat triangular sides it's actually really weird it would be hard to yeah. look at that and not think that a person had something yeah. to do with it mm. so so yeah. the reason what some uh the guy went out there and he did mm. research on it and he discovered that um there are four layers to it There's oh, wow. the outermost layer um so the innermost layer i think uh, what they found is uh, that that was a, a natural natural hill and then they built on top of it but each each layer is older uh, than the the earlier uh, the innermost layer is older and then then they built more and more on top of it and i think they did like um sonar or something mm. um and they saw that inside there were chambers no staircases or something like that <laughs> um but then but then there are some people that still say no this is natural but um so i apart i can't go much deeper into it than that but they say the uh, the outermost layer is at least like 3000 years old the second um the layer below that is around i think they said like 8000 um and then the innermost layer on top of the mm. natural um hill is anywhere between like 10 to 20,000 years. Oh my god. Um and you know so some I read up, like some of the arguments against it is that like one one guy was like oh you've got to first find the culture first and then uh the civilization identify this culture or the civilization mm-hmm. first and then uh make some sort of space on that which I completely disagree with. If you find like fucking artifact or <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't just go oh no but there's no no civilization there or we don't know about a civilization there. Well you well, look look here so it's worth it's worth like you know Yeah. This is your you know. clue my friend. <laughs> This is yeah, your big exactly. fat clue that there was yeah. something going on. <laughs> yeah. And and it 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 completely makes sense because you know people 
we don't we don't have that much archaeological evidence from that long that time that far back because basically the land was completely different then wasn't it the ice age Come, all mm. the water at that time was was locked up in the polar ice caps so the mm. coastline would have been completely different then and mm. most and most civilization are built um along the coastlines most mm. major cities are next mm. to ports or like mm. uh, access to uh the yeah. sea because that's where a lot of trade happens and everything as well right so yeah and there's a fast logically yeah. thinking if you go back beyond the ice age 10,000 years ago um the basically all the civilization would now be um you're not going to find it inland if you the archaeological mm. dig sites should be where there is now water now sea mm. so it's just just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there you know yeah it, yeah it's that's, that's 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 exactly true there's 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 a logical issue with saying that oh well, because that deep in time we haven't been able to verify xyz that mm. means they mm. don't exist i mean it's just because you know mm. partly because you haven't been able to verify it um yeah wait what and am i trying to say that being traded i'm saying that you know of course if you find something that you think is from that time it's not worth dismissing just because you don't have the surrounding context information we of might course. need to do more yeah. investigation right it's not worth but this is this that. is one thing that that why history is also kind of like historical uh studies are often very biased because yeah. people's reputations are you know you you're, you're an e- egyptologist or mm. you know um right. or you you study medieval anyway people's reputations are historic historians reputations are based on particular things so they often you know stick to their ideas yeah and try to dismiss like uh other stuff any competing kind of like theory that might you know? yeah exactly yeah. because otherwise yeah yeah it's a kind then, of you know, a kind of bias that prevents us from approaching new ideas yeah, right exactly but yeah. then you know you said like last week there's there's actual hmm. scientific data through silica um found in bones of trade of bananas between uh india and africa eight thousand years ago. oh in and if you're going to be sailing yeah. that far um, uh, well madagascar was like four thousand or something wasn't it yeah but, yeah, yeah i mean i'm sure there was trade that was going on yeah that anyway so that actually brings me to my clarification <laughs> in a quite a wonderful way okay <laughs> if, if yeah. that's okay yeah because yeah. it, it fits in so well because yeah so four thousand they think four thousand years ago about then is when bananas first came to east africa from um austronesian uh, traders now i said mm. i said austro-malay just because we're in a conversation mm. so one of the things here guys um for you listening at home is that as much as that we're, we're having a conversation between mike and myself uh trying to trying to surprise each other with new and wonderful information and, and in-depth kind of facts about the world that we live in and the foods that we eat um we also want to deliver you guys value and and to make sure that things are proper and clear so we go off we listen to the podcast and we go off afterwards and we verify everything that we might have made a mistake on because when you're in full flow of conversation sometimes you know it's like a typo you, you just happen to say something that wasn't quite accurate and you just have to keep on flowing with the conversation right so we listen back to it and we just verify things and one of the things that i made a mistake on was saying austro-malays austro people and and this 
interesting thing about the Austronesian people is that nearly 400 million people speak today Austronesian languages. So it's not insignificant. Mm. That's a huge wow. proportion of the world's population. Right? Yeah. Where are they? I, well, is that mainly around Indonesia, um, uh, Papua New Guinea, this kind so of area? The big three are Indonesian, Malay, and Tagalog, which is um, the Filipino language or language of the Philippines. And and but the center of 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 this um, peoples, this ethnic group, is thought to be Taiwan. Taiwan indigenous peoples. Mm have the greatest diversity of Austronesian languages. And for that reason, it's thought to be that that's the center. And then they spread from there up to the southern part of China, southern part of Vietnam, all the way down to Japan. And by the way, speaking... all the way to Madagascar in Africa. Yeah, and no. that's why they speak Austronesian languages in Madagascar. And that's how bananas got to Madagascar a long time ago. Mm. Mm. Austronesian traders. There's... There... Uh, are, are there people in Taiwan still speaking Indonesian, uh, not in, uh, uh, indigenous languages? I, I believe they yes, because national language there is wait um, Cantonese or is it Mandarin? Oh, that's that's something I don't want to get messed up. So I'm going to just <laughs> I'm just kind of I, 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 I think, and it's also quite political, right? At the moment, uh, Taiwan national yeah, languages. True. Let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to insult. <laughs> On a very deep level, um, uh, the Taiwanese well, people. I mean, I don't think it's. I mean, just saying what what's the national language that was yeah. what most people speaking there. Oh no, 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 exactly. Uh, but I, I, but I, th I think it's it's. I think depending on um, the movement that if 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 you want Taiwan to be an independent country, um, it's Mandarin. Yes, Mandarin, right? So, but anyway, mm. it turns out to be Mandarin, um, which is mm. the. The majority, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the big language of the region anyway. Um, so Mandarin, yeah, it is. But there's a lot of indigenous peoples in Taiwan. Because Taiwan yeah. is in a really interesting geographical position, right? Where it's on mm. the frontier of, of, of like the Chinese civilization. It's also right next to the kind of Austronesian, well, it's the center of diversity of Austronesian civilization but but um, and peoples. But it's right next to Indonesia. And actually the Ryukyu Kingdom, which is now a part of Japan, goes right onto the edge of Taiwan. It was all connected. It was all connected back about 10,000 years ago. There, were land, there yeah. were land bridges that were all connected then. So it's, really? it makes complete sense. Yeah. Yep. 10,000 years ago. But they were a seafaring. So, um, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, there was still, I mean, it's, no, not, probably, it's not like yeah. that was all one big landmass, but there, mm. I think there was still a lot of uh, sea around the area, but there was definitely like land bridges. Okay. So in that sense, like connected, but then also the More use of today. boats is uh, was very important back then as well. Mm. And that's why you have, um, uh, uh, you know, off the coast of uh, Okinawa, as mm. well, which is very close to Taiwan, this um, structure underwater, which looks very, very man-made mm. and it's you know it's it's underwater so that would okay, suggest so that it is man-made that it's very old right and but and it's was like land. sharp yeah. right angles there are sharp right angles that's wild and when you look at it if you look at it you'll be like that's man-made 100 but it's very like a lot of people are like no way it can't be because it just doesn't make sense that that would be like man-made it's a natural and naturally occurring structure as well but if you look at it oh god i need to remember what this name is as well next week's um, clarifications <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, you, I mean, I'm sure if you googled like a uh, um, uh, structure underwater, underwater structure off the coast of Okinawa, it would, yeah. you would see the pictures as well. It looks, it looks 
amazing. There, there's a lot of that um, kind of stuff, like even between India and Sri Lanka, there's this stuff underwater, which, uh, which, which, which seems as if it's like man-made. Um, and no, I mean, in fact, all across the coast of India, like when the tsunami happened, mm. it, 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 it moved, you know, suddenly it uncovered old towns that were off the coast. Mm. So definitely mm. the coastline actually stretched out further and people were living further oh, out yeah. than where they are today. Yeah. 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 But that's why that's why um, it makes sense that that region is the real cradle of civilization because back then those would be the temperate those would be the temperate areas they wouldn't be tropical as they are now they would have been because the, it would be much further north would be much colder as you go down further south it gets warmer but now it would be different so that area would be more temperate than it is less and that's not as tropical point. you know it's an interesting point. so it makes sense. Because that, it would be ice, so that's yeah. where civilization would have come from, and that's why age. most of the older history, and that's why it would make sense that uh, a pyramid then would go back like 15, maybe 14, maybe up to 20,000 years ago, potentially. Hmm. Well, that's very old. I mean, Gobiateki yeah. is like 10,000. Oh, yeah, and that was another clarification point in the, in the Americas when where people when's the first evidence of civil of humans in there in uh Americas is like I think it's about thirty thousand years ago. They found like right. a, I think it was a skeleton in Mexico. Um but it could be older okay. as well they say it's hard to tell. Right. Well that that'll be so anyway, I mean, see yeah but, I mean some of these things are like um I don't know depends on how they test them and this and that but but yeah so yeah. you know we're not just interested in food we're also fascinated by history <laughs> and culture and everything as well it's anything true. anything anything curious just, anything curious mm, with the emphasis on i, I love, I love ancient history yeah a, a, and and uh, and i'm 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 very i i i would readily admit that i would happily watch any of these kind of like uh videos about like uh ancient his, uh, civilizations that look at the search for atlantis and all this kind of shit as well <laughs> well no, no smoke without fire right you know if uh i'm sure uh i'm sure if these kind of if plato uh was talking about these uh old civilizations and you know thing thing is plato was was um was probably he wasn't probably talking about because i think he got heard that story from his teacher uh called which story hmm? which... about atlantis Ah, uh, okay. He also he also heard it from word of mouth as well, so it's probably older. And I think his it was it was Plato's teacher Socrates. You know Aristotle, think, Plato, and Socrates. I should know the order, but I don't. And Aristotle, or was it Aristotle was Plato's teacher? Aristotle was Plato's teacher, but then I think but he also then heard in, it in in yeah in when you, when I when I've read Plato, he mentioned Socrates. I think Socrates isn't somebody that we have historical um, evidence of. The only reference is in Plato's writings. And Aristotle okay. was afterwards and separate, and he was, um, as, well, Aristotle was scientist. after Plato? I thought he was before. Uh, well, I know that he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a... Uh, anyway, he's anyway a so apparently the, this, the, the, uh, Plato's, one of Plato's teachers or something, he... Uh, about it and when he visited right. when he traveled to uh india or yeah there you go Africa or so, yeah. <laughs> so first was socrates then was plato then aristotle 
Um, yeah, because okay. Socrates, okay. Socrates only exists in when, when you read Plato, he often uses Socrates as the teacher or the guy who's leading the, uh, the, the discourse, the dialogue. Um, and that's how we know a lot about so whatever we know about Socrates is, I think, from Plato's writings. And Aristotle <clears throat> yeah. was after, and of course, you know, Aristotelian logic and Aristotelian, you know, you know physics and math. He's a, he's a father of science, right? Um, so, mm, so India. that comes up. Well, he's recognized Indian, as the father Indian. of science in the West. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I, no, no, no. I, I mean, he's, 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 ideas. He's, he's, he's still is as father of science. When it comes to... Mm like these methodologies when it comes to um, uh, formalizing logic, all these really important things. That was Aristotle. Mm. When it comes to, but that's not to say that there wasn't development of, of certain concepts and principles in other parts of the world. Like India came close to something that we would call the scientific methodology, but for some reason it just it just just fizzled out. We don't have any further evidence. But they also so you mean close the, what we to differentiation use today rather than it, well, just it, we also in the south of India. There's also a group of priests who came close to differentiation, 500 years I think before um, before uh, Newton and Leibniz. But but um, but again, it, it I just seems I, so I need to I need to look back on. Um, this book that I'm reading, my father's book, but I'm pretty sure in there he talks about various different books, ancient Indian texts, mm. and and his ideas that these ideas through maritime trade then reached uh, Greece, ancient Greece and everything, and they these ideas oh, yeah. originally would come from India. Well, and I know, for example, trigonometry was originally, mm. trigonometry is, is, is originally always is from India. In fact, I've forgotten the exact roots of the names, but if you look at cosine, sine, if you wonder where they come from, they come from Sanskrit words referring to the shapes of bows or something. Um, mm -hmm. And if you think about a bow, I guess it's, it's, it's got a, a semicircle on one side and it's got a straight line, like a half a circle, a hemisphere, and then you're pulling a string towards the back. And so you've now got triangles. And so, so... Well, you don't have triangle stuff, but you have like a unit circle, basically. But, um, mm. but, 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 yeah. So trig comes from India, and then it went to, or the original founding ideas were were, were Indian, and then and then it went to the Middle East, and mm. or it went to Greece first, and then the Middle East. I can't remember the exact thing, but then the words changed because they got integrated into the new languages, and and uh, and. Yeah, and so on. And I think most of the, initially, the, a lot of the ancient trade initially from out of India would have been going into the Arabian Gulf. Um, yeah, and that was quite, that was yeah. that was before Mesopotamia. Um, yeah, uh, and then yeah, exactly, exactly, and then like mm. um, the Mediterranean started developing a bit after that. Um, then there were the Phoenicians. Um, and the Phoenicians were responsible for a lot of, uh, like, initiating a lot of that trade within the, within um, the Mediterranean. Okay. And then I think it was Greece, ancient Greece, and then, uh, you know, um, then I think it was the Romans. And then after the Romans collapsed, then it all went to shit for several hundred <laughs> years. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then the dark we ages to come back again. I think that was yeah. yeah. And then. Mm. Coffee. Just imagine how how we could have um, developed, uh, how much more advanced we could be 
if the dark age didn't happen and the romans didn't collapse well who knows? i think it's also kind of a natural a natural progression they probably we they yeah. prob- the romans probably collapsed and we're probably at the, might maybe at a similar stage in life because they became so decadent and well um yeah and 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 apparently a lot of it was to do with the fact that europe at the time didn't want any knowledge that was coming from india and the middle east the middle east um the islamic civilizations were sucking in knowledge from all around the world i mean the first medical book is like this assimilation of greek and indian and um arabic knowledge uh, but they were very, islam very open. Was much later though the islam, europe was already in decline before um before um islam came yeah like Christianity as well was, you know, they were already book burning and that kind of shit before Islam came around. <laughs> yeah, but apparently a, a lot of the, the, the Dark Ages, was it the Dark Ages? But before the Enlightenment, the reason why Europe was so mm. stuck and didn't have any development of new forms of knowledge and things like that was precisely because they were rejecting as Christians or Catholic or whatever it mm. was, knowledge that was coming mm. from other sources, which was at that time mm. from, from, from Islam in the Middle East. And then when it opened up, mm when you had this, mm. the rise of Protestantism and then, and then you know, people began assimilating information again from around the world and, you know, then you had the Enlightenment in, in, in effectively. I mean, I'm not going to every single blow of like yeah. Luther and then, you know, everyone, but, um, mm. but effectively it's to do with, in part to do with, the, with this kind of position that, no, that, that knowledge is from over there we won't absorb mm. it over here and it kept you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. back mm. for a long time and when that changed that mindset changed mm. suddenly mm-hmm. you had this amazing proliferation of like well industrialization happened in europe right and that changed the world that's what made thanks europe to coffee extremely powerful uh, uh place that's, that's what that's where how they were able to colonize the world because they were able to yeah, produce food and, and use machines like nobody else could. Um, uh, and, yeah, uh, and coffee and has a lot to do with that. So much food. Coffee could do that. Yeah, coffee has a lot to do with well, that. Well, that's a, I think I think that's an interesting topic to talk about one day, for sure. I think next time, um, now that we introduce it this time, we can uh, keep people in suspense and, and say that next time we'll talk about to how what, coffee to what extent influence was coffee responsible. Yeah. To modern civilization and and taking Europe out 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 the dark ages, yeah, um, and why the modern civilization where we're able to produce f- enough food for billions of people and m- somehow produce a a seasonal product all year round <laughs> transitions, like, yeah, like okay, very good, <laughs> <laughs> very good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm curious. How 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 are fish? First of all, just introduce people to to this concept of fish eggs. I think. Uh, what do they taste like? Why do you eat them, Mike? Why okay, are you so a freak time. that eats fish? Fish, fish eggs? eggs are something produced by fish um, <laughs> to make new fish. That's the concept <laughs> of fish eggs. There you go. <laughs> and then why 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 do you kill these baby fish, Mike? Why do you why do you put them in your mouth and, and chomp on them? Well, what's, what's the benefit? Because they just taste so good. They taste so good, right? And what do they taste like? Yeah. It's basically involuntary abortion um of <laughs> the fish. You know? Ooh. Um 
Wait, is that is that your thing or that's what topic. the technical? No, I mean like is is no. that what technically is happening <laughs> when we when we eat fish eggs? Are we eating the involuntary abortion of a fish? Or... No, but I, most in most cases they're not a fertilized, so you're not taking away. You're only taking away the potential life. Uh, you're not <laughs> yeah, away a natural life. You just, just, just. Yeah. So in in I think almost basically. <laughs> By the way. Once they once once they're six months old, that's fair game. <laughs> then we just take away all their lives and put them on the plate, grill them up. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure that any fish egg you eat is going to be uh, an unfertilized egg because once uh, they only, um, I think they only, taste um, good. yeah. But I mean, not only that. I mean, I think when most fish eggs are taken out of a dead fish. Um, a dead fish when they're already yeah when they're already inside the fish um mm. and and it once they're outside of the fish most cases they are then straight away uh infertilized by the uh um the male fish and yeah right and you know then it's basically impossible to try and harvest them by that point because they're they're out in the sea or or they're in the on in the river under the gravel it doesn't make sense you know it's very difficult to do that except in the case of flying fish where um because you know last week I was, we were talking about tobiko which is one of the one of the ingredients of the dish that I had last week mm. um but tobiko you don't have to capture capture the fish to harvest that um what farmers do fish uh egg harvesters or tobiko harvesters do to get that is they um so the flying fish, they mm. they lay the eggs on floating mm. seaweed. Mm. Oh, and they attach them to that. Yeah, and then what? So what the people do? What the fish harvesters do? The the tobacco harvesters do? They lay down like floating seaweed or straw or something, and then the flying fish lay their eggs on that. Uh, put the eggs on that, and so in that case, maybe they're fertilized. I'm not sure. Um, because um, flying fish can actually fly, right? That. They can actually like glide outside of the water. I, 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 I've I, seen them; it's unbelievable. <laughs> they they can go. I think it's like eighty meters, and they're literally mm. flying. It's incredible. Like you see them like out of the water, and it's like how they look like birds, like essentially, <laughs> and they go a long way. Go a long um, way, and then they cover boats with their eggs and stuff, right? Like spray their eggs and stuff all over boats. It sticks to boats. I've seen this on a documentary. What you mean when they're flying? They're just like flying in the end up all over <laughs> people <laughs> spray them with eggs. Yeah. I think well maybe they could do uh but I'm pretty sure they let uh when they're in the water and they do it floating stuff. So it could be on boats, yeah, maybe. Um but yeah, that's how I harvest it. So no whenever you eat Tobiko, you can you can feel safe. Uh, in the knowledge that no flying fish has been harvested, has been hurt to get because they eggs. actually have to like spray it out of themselves onto seaweed. They can, they can yeah, you that. just you just collect the eggs off the off the seaweed, off the straw that they people people I'm, lay down this stuff so that the uh, flying fish will lay their eggs. Wait, there. they they so lay the, down the straw the thing, in the water or on top? Yeah, yeah, in the water, uh, uh, on top of the water, so it's floating. Top. It's floating. Oh, that's the yeah. thing. So they do spray it when they're flying. Oh no! It's underneath that they spray it. No, it's underneath. 
Yeah, okay. it's underneath. <laughs> <laughs> they're, not, they're, not, they're not flying out of the water to lay eggs and spray eggs everywhere. That's, uh, no, they're, they're, when they come out of the water, that's to escape prey. Okay, predators. But sometimes, I've, when I've seen them, I've tried to see if there's any fish underneath, and I don't, sometimes I don't see anything, maybe just because you can't see it because it's very wavy or whatever. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised to say that sometimes they fly, go out of the water just to enjoy themselves as well. Um, I've seen, I've seen like rays jumping out of the water uh, for no particular reason. As well, you know? But underneath, and... you got like a diver tickling them. No, no. <laughs> I, 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 like I think, I, I, I think fish um, are, are more intelligent than we give them credit for. You know, you mm. see, I've seen a video I think on Instagram where like one guy's got a goldfish in his hand and he throws throws a goldfish in the lake. And then it comes right back. It swims right back to, and he puts his hand under water again. And it swims back and goes onto his hand again. And he throws it again, and it swims back. Well, first, he's or, a bastard for doing that to the goldfish. Oh, no, 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 no. I think constantly no, no, throw. I think he's doing literally. No, no. He, like he's not doing it like aggressively. Like, <laughs> his hand under the water. Fish comes onto his yeah. hand, and he he doesn't like go. Wah! He's just like like this. Mm. Just throws it, and then it comes swims back again. Like that. It's cute. It's cute. Yeah. I, I tend to think when I see things like that, that like there, there's sometimes things, other things happening. Like he's disturbing the water. There's food around his hand when he drops the goldfish. The goldfish is just repeating a behavior. That's my cynical. Okay, but then, but then, but then you have like divers uh, who visit the same fish. Oh, yeah, this is also true. As well, yeah, there's that yeah. big grouper. I think uh, in Japan, there's Japanese yeah, yeah, diver, yeah, yeah. and after even two he's years, like a friend it, with it recognizes him and then it swims up yeah. to him and then goes around him and that like is yeah you know, yeah obviously he remembered and that's yeah, exactly amazing it's quite clear when you it. see it and i mean if you've seen uh, this is a different animal obviously but oh my have you seen documentary my octopus teacher octopus are anyway very fucking intelligent Tasty. animals oh yeah they can solve it. they can solve incredible problems yeah um and they display like character as well uh, personality yeah. have you seen the documentary my octopus teacher on netflix no i haven't i haven't i think i think i should highly highly recommend it i guarantee you will get emotional and if you're gonna watch it with uh diana yeah. uh i guarantee at least one of you is gonna cry cry but uh, then this this also implies that if i eat octopus at a restaurant ever again i'll be a horrible person because now i i i i i know more about I, what i'm eating. i I don't. I don't order octopus um, at restaurants. I. I. I will admit occasionally. I'll. I have eaten <laughs> I it after I've seen the documentary, but that's because it's like served to me like on a omakase course or something. Then is I don't want to waste it, you know. Um, but I don't <laughs> go to omakase every other it. day. No, I know. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> honestly, honestly, the, the best octopus honestly, I ever had was okay. marinated in miso. It was in Kagoshima yeah. in Japan, and that was just incredible incredible piece of octopus marinated me so can i can i give you a task to watch octopus teacher by the next podcast and let me know if a what you thought of it and b if you cried okay yeah <laughs> i will but I just the thing is like know. wait 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 hold on a second but you eat beef right yeah, so okay, whatever. I mean, like you don't eat an octopus because I mean you just 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 eat it. You already eat an animal. I like, mean, I, I I don't wanna I don't wanna sound like uh, hypocritical or anything because yeah. I it's I've I have 
Ah, I don't mean to put you on the eating, spot. <laughs> Sorry. The argument for eating meat and not eating meat is is very valid. Um, Second, but it's you a whole different accept. conversation. It's a whole different conversation. Oh yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. I mean, but I I have I have stopped uh, eating octopus. So no, there's something. Um, I just don't really actively try and get it. Oh. Uh, but um, oh, it's true. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you know, in Japan, this could be another conversation one day. It's very very difficult to be a vegetarian. I have, I usually don't cook meat at home, and I I'm not like um, uh, being. I don't do that because for any health benefits or anything like that. I don't. It's not like uh, I think it's unhealthy to eat meat. I think it's I think it's very healthy to me, and I think you do. There are a lot of things in yeah. meat that you you need. Um, you're gonna have a lot of um, vegans raving right now. <laughs> Name uh, the nutrient. I mean, I, I, but no, but I, I, we honestly, don't have to do that now. I've, I've listened yeah. to a lot of information. You know, yeah. I used to be, I used to be well on board with the idea of being um, a vegan, and I've, I've tried to be vegetarian at first. Mm. Um, but yeah, especially in Japan, it's very difficult to do it as well because it's just there's just meat everywhere, and essentially, if you want to get salad here, it's, a, it's served as a side dish. Um, uh, yeah, it's like you know, I, you won't, you can't go to a restaurant that many restaurants and get like a salad. Maybe you get Caesar salad in some places, but no, places, it's genuinely, is just, it, it is genuinely hard. Everything. I mean, people do do it. Um, but I, I think the first time I went to Japan, I was a, a vegetarian or vegan. I was vegan actually. I wasn't eating dairy, mm. and um, and it was almost. It was impossible to just go to a normal place and then there'd be nothing apart to be completely sure that there's not even a bit of bonito flakes or some sort of a stock or just something yeah. thrown yeah. into the thing that you're eating that's from an animal. Um, mm. Just the nature of the cuisine. It is it is hard. People do do it though. And I respect you have to them be very, for their essentially, ability to stick yeah, to Essentially, you have to be a very strict vegan to, to be able to remain or a very strict vegetarian to remain vegetarian or vegan mm-hmm. in Japan. Mm-hmm. And the only, I only know one, uh, one of my friends here who's vegetarian because he's been a vegetarian his whole life um, because of religion. Mm. You know, he's, uh, his family is Jane. So. Oh yeah. 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 That's yeah. yeah. a pretty good sizable Jane community in in japan i have a really funny story about that actually i i think well, now that i said that i have to say it's a really funny story uh okay so i not from a jain background from a hindu background and hindus don't eat beef and i hadn't eaten beef all my life um and i was like i said uh vegan the first time i came to japan and the second time i was too but I was I was I was also in a different kind of place um, with it, and I wanted to try Kobe, and and for Kobe beef, I was I was willing to to break it. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> we went to Kobe, and we ate. Uh, we went to a little store, and we ate Kobe beef, and I was kind of really weirded out by it. I, the taste was and the the taste was uh, fatty, of course, and good because. Fat tastes good, and wagyu is is very fatty. Um, but I was also kind of completely weirded out by that experience because, you know, it's the first time that I'd, I'd ever put something like that in my mouth, and especially after so long of, of, of sticking to a principle, 
felt really weird and kind of like identity crisis. Anyway, five minutes later, can you imagine in that situation what the worst thing in the world would be? Like, like not only have you betrayed your own like kind of uh, moral principles, but you also kind of betrayed your culture in that moment. And the worst thing yeah. in the world would be to end up. But that wasn't the first confronted. time you had meat, though, is it? Uh, before I was fourteen, um, mm. I would eat occasionally meat. It was like from fourteen to about twenty-six that I was vegetarian and vegan. Um, so it's quite a long time, and 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 um, then after that, on and off as well. But anyway, that was that's that's when it broke. And and the worst thing in the world in that time would be to somehow be confronted with the very things that you feel like you've betrayed. You're already feeling pretty bad about yourself, and you're in Japan, so it's unlikely, right? You're mm. you're where are the Indians in Japan? Well, mm. I walk in a straight line up that hill. Five minutes later, it's a Jain community in Kobe, and there are temples all around me. And not only are there temples all oh. around me, but they're all written in Gujarati because they Gujarati. So not only is it like how how like of, of all the cultures of India that I could stumble across, I stumble across the one mm. that's most that that is mine, <laughs> and, and it's just like just just to make you feel even more guilty than you already like were. If, if 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 there was a Hindu god trying to make a point to me, that's exactly how they make a point <laughs> to me. <laughs> like you have oh, effed dear. up. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. people yeah. people would say that that is a sign. That is a sign right there of. Uh, of uh some divine sign basically telling you right there saying you you're on the right path my friend you're on the right path <laughs> <laughs> do not was it worth it though have you do, had do not bow down to then? standards uh-huh you had wagyu beef since then is that the only experience you've had of wagyu beef no i think the third time i came to japan that was when we were hanging out. I was not a vegetarian, <laughs> and uh, and um, yeah, so I had a lot of uh, nice of dishes in 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 Japan. Honestly, um, um, <laughs> uh, it's it's very fatty. It is very fatty. It's very fatty, isn't it? And right? and you would be forgiven for thinking that that's not beef. It's something else. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. You know. I had the same experience as well. I, I, it's, it's hard to say whether, it's, like, it's not. It's purposefully like I like a large steak. I like, I like eating a lot. Basically, <laughs> I like big steak. You know, if I get a steak, I like ribeye. And so, you know, you can't get a big wagyu steak because it's just too fatty. Isn't it? <laughs> it's like you need it, a small one because it gets like, too much after a while, right? Yeah, I mean, like it's just like just imagine eating a block of butter. We all like butter, but you wouldn't mm. want a block of that for dinner. And and that's that's what mm. e- e- eating a, a big piece of wagyu would be like. It'd be just it's just too mm. much. But butter is delicious, and so is a piece of wagyu, and and maybe yeah, even exactly. more delicious actually. But in moderation, so everything. Like yeah, it's it's like it's like a treat. It's like a little taste explosion, and then that's it. Mm. You don't you don't need more. After that, and you know what um, is like a little taste explosion? What, Mike? Are we going to the next transition? We are. Salmon we eggs. are going to salmon eggs. Oh, that's not the transition I expected. Even better. Okay, let's do salmon eggs. What transition were you expecting? I thought we were going to uni sea urchins. 
Oh, no, because I haven't finished about my fish eggs. I only talk about Tori- <laughs> Tommy Curse so far. Hey, you tell me that I go on forever. <laughs> yeah. hey, we, were, we were listening to your funny story. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, no, because uh, salmon eggs are... So Tobiko, the, the, the flying fish eggs, they're very small, very mm. small. And they're very, like, tough as well, actually. So, like, it's like using... Like a hard pop. Like, yeah. Mm, but they have to be, right, um, to be protected. Salmon eggs, they are a bit softer and they're larger. So mm. it's like a little mm. burst of umami, mm. you know, mm. when, when it's, yeah, it's delicious. Um, <laughs> That's how, yeah, it is. And it's briny as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's delicious. And yeah, I don't know the, the reason. So I, I was wondering how are we getting this all year round? Yeah. And it's basically because, I mean, Fish eggs, you get salmon eggs uh, in, you get salmon in Japan, but it's only, mm. it's really, I think it's only in Hokkaido. In, so, okay. Um, so it's a seasonal thing there. Um, so then how can you get, go to the sushi restaurant? And oh yeah, so usually uh, they mm. uh, only, um, so mm. the, the fish, salmon, they own, they always amazingly mm. visit the same spot not just the same river the same spot in the river where yeah. they um were where they were born mm. they go back there because they so the so salmon have like two life cycles they have the life cycle as a juvenile in the in in fresh water mm. and then they leave the fresh water and live in the deep uh, ocean so the mm. second life cycle is in the salt water so they're out in the sea you know for a lot of their lives but somehow mm-hmm. They go back to the same spot where they were born to spawn, um, and and these are like um, in four year cycles. Um, I mean, they most. That's amazing. I think all Pacific salmon die after they spawn, and right. some maybe one or two species of Atlantic uh, salmon can reproduce one more time in their life. There, have, oh, I think wow. there's been recorded like three times as well, but that's very rare. Um, so basically. They they die after after they do this. Um, so you know it's it's a wow. uh, it makes it sound like it's an even more hard resource to come by, right? Right. Um, yeah. And you know it's point. also crazy. Each each well, okay, fine. Also, like um, a large female can produce up to anywhere between like I think it's like uh, two thousand to seven thousand eggs or something like that. But wow. on average, I read like only three eggs actually make it to what not just maturity not just maturity to being born why is that because we're all eating them <laughs> i i hope that is being included because if you're not then fucking hell they would really fucking up the uh the, um you know the chances of them actually like not going extinct um but no but um, is, is that normal is that is that something that's that's happened like recently, like is is it's I mean, is is that no, because I, of I, human I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I that's why I say I hope that that is part oh, you of hope. Yeah, the yeah, statistic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would assume it must be because that's that is a very like from no, seven thousand I mean, potentially seven thousand eggs, three being born. Yeah, that's crazy. But anyway, well, I mean, I guess um, everyone wants to eat them in the water. Like you just imagine yeah. all these salmon like running up the stream and just laying all these eggs everywhere. If I were mm-hmm. a creature mm-hmm. in the water, that would be 
my payday that would be just like i just mm. hit the tr- jack well that's why you get these images in in uh in the in the americas and alaska and um in canada where the bears the grizzly bears are just waiting for the salmon run every year and they're just mm. eating and you can see them as they're like biting down on the salmon like all these eggs just like squirting out really you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, um but they've also got their own way then, of, and then you just uh, see then you just see flying. loads of people like uh japanese people like catching catching the eggs squirting out uh, um, um yeah well basically so yeah, you've had a suspense no 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 it's, 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 it's yeah. well no no i mean there's the i mean it's it's Maybe quite a simple explanation it's just okay. sim- it's it's imported uh, all over the world, and the thing is, yeah, they I usually spawn. They usually spawn uh, during the winter time because they're doing yeah. cold waters, and they always visit the same place again. Like I said, um, so yeah. importation um, will answer the question. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes um, you do get uh, salmon that are spawning earlier in the year, mm. um, because the thing is, once you you can you can. You can get the eggs and you can jar it, and then it's you, if you then put it in the fridge um, and you don't open the jar of um, or packaged uh, salmon eggs, you can eat it about three months later. It's like the max. Mm. But oh, once wow. you open it, you have to consume it. I think it's like within that day. Um, wow. Yeah. This um, is, so yeah. you can freeze them. You can freeze them. Um, but then I think it's only like six months. Maybe that was mm. three months. Crap. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I yeah. guess I mean well, it's not long. Ones. So it's not it's not it's yeah. not as long shelf life as well, right? So mm. it's not something that you can keep all year as well, right? So you okay. are relying on the imports to be able to do right. that. That's and then you have then you have to, to think about the seasons then. Um, then because like I said, they're usually doing sporting in colder temperatures. Mm. So usually it's the winter time, right? So then if it's all coming in the winter time, then that also doesn't make sense to be able to have a seat all year round supply. But then some salmon are sporting a little bit earlier because in Alaska, it's really cold. Mm. Um, so it's still really cold during the summer. The summers are much shorter. Um, um, so you do get some, which are spawning from like, uh, um, August, um, I think maybe okay. even sometimes July. So then that that that's where you can get the, the produce at that time of year. And then of course you have the um, uh, north or south hemis- hemisphere as well. So uh, winter in the northern hemisphere, it's summer in the southern hemisphere. In the southern hemisphere, so you do get salmon that are spawning in New Zealand as well. Mm. So their winter is our summer. I guess okay. that I mean I I it's quite it was quite hard to do this research because there isn't that much data on exactly you know how how you know, <laughs> starting like, out the podcast by there's yeah. north hemisphere and south hemisphere when there's the summertime in the south it's winter no, no because a lot of these <laughs> like I I I'll admit a lot of these are assumptions as well right ah uh, um, okay that, that, all right yeah I couldn't I couldn't find a definitive answer to say okay. um um. During the summertime of Japan, we're having to import from New Zealand, so to speak, you know, um, mm. because there it's winter and that's when they're spawning. And so they're importing from there at this time of year. And that's how we get uh, some right. of the uh, the ikura from that time. Oh, by okay. the way, ikura is uh, salmon eggs. Right. And that and- it comes from that comes oh. from uh, that's not a Japanese word that comes from uh, the Russian word for uh, fish egg. Which oh, is- really? 
Ikra eller som jag sa ja. Oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. How how the Japanese word for fish eggs is derived from the Russian. Mm. That's really, but then the Russians mm. are famous for caviar, which is also a kind of roe um, as well, exactly. but of I think exclusively mm. beluga fish. Um, beluga, mm. um, beluga caviar. Is it? Are they? Oh, God, I think it's kind of carp. And um, uh, beluga sturgeon, 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 and sturgeon from the Caspian sturgeons. Sea. Sturgeons, yeah, yeah, I think that's where the white sturgeons the most, from. or black sturgeons the most, like prized fish egg in the world. And now they're, I think they've they've got them in the US and they're farming them the same genetics. Um, right, that's 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 pretty cool. I just want um, so ikura is something that I would have as breakfast in Japan a lot with seaweed and rice. I remember uh, the lady. No, gave, no, no, that's uh, that's different. That's um. I mean, maybe you can, but mostly what's happened um, codro? Uh, is codro, uh, polychro, uh, which is polychro. which is I think it's the same genus or part of the cod family or something. Okay. Um, um, and that mm. is another fish egg, which is I think it might be consumed more than um, salmon roe. Um, probably, probably a bit cheaper because that is something that you can eat. Yeah, it's it's a it's speciality of. Um, um, Fukuoka, which is a part of the Kyushu Island, the southernmost island, okay. and it's you can get just like salted codro, polycro, sorry, or uh, spiced, which is the more popular one. It used to be um, um, the salted uh, codro. I can't remember the name. Sorry, uh, yeah. it used to be more popular, but recently mentaiko, which is the spiced uh, polycro, has become a lot more popular. Okay. Um and that that is also heavily dependent on imports mainly from uh Canada I believe and Russia of course. Amazing. Well, yeah, Canada and Russia have a lot to do with Japanese imports of seafood as we'll find out with the uni. But the uh story I have with that um cod codro for breakfast is I think I was in Kyoto or mm. maybe No, I was in Nagasaki. I was in Nagasaki. And in the morning where I was staying an old lady came up to me and said, don't eat that. I think I was eating the sandwich or something. And then she actually made a little wrap out of like um, seaweed and she wrapped, ri- she wrapped rice in the seaweed and then topped it with these eggs. And then she said, that's like more, like that's better for you. And also it's what we eat more often um, here for breakfast, mm. which I think was really nice of her. For me what at the time, it was eat? very strong, like a sandwich or something. I was just traveling around. Yeah. And I was didn't have. Why did she say don't eat that? What 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 were you? No, no, no. Effectively, she was like, "I've got. I'm going to make something better for you." Oh, she stopped you because you were like, "What the fuck?" Kind of like she 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 didn't prohibit me from eating it. Like I ate the sandwich later. She was okay with it, but she was trying to be nice, like saying, (laughs) "Hey, by the way, hang on a second. I I, I, I'm going to make something for you just quickly. Uh, Have that Ah, first. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And um. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's just, yeah, and it was, well, I'll be honest, it, I like it now because I had it a few times after that, but the first time I had it, the, this briny, um, fishy eggs first thing in the morning was pretty intense. Mm. Like, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a bit much. I like seaweed and rice, I can eat that all day. Um, mm. onigiri, yeah, yeah, big fan, but usually onigiri but, has something inside there as well. Like, in I like Santa, the one with seaweed inside, salmon. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah, common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, nice. Big fan of the seaweed. Um, but you so, don't get. I wonder yeah. if you get uni. No, yeah, no, you can't get uni. Uh, uni, um, uh, onigiri, the rice balls. 
Mm, I don't think that would work. It would it would end up well. You you get those lunch boxes all the time at the train station, uh, for for yeah bento. I think that yeah, different levels of bento boxes, right? Um, that you can just grab. That's that's fast food in Japan for for train travel, but and they and they can have uni on top, but they're like rubber. So shall we introduce uni now? We've kind of got there. Um, yep. All right, uni, the big topic of mine for this week that I've uh, been blown away by. Um, so uni is 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 the gonads of a sea urchin. So I think sea urchins. Mm-hmm are fascinating it's okay if i just monologue mm. this for like five minutes and just go off on a bender mm. on, a, on a sea urchin bender. okay cool Please so do. sea urchins uh if you haven't seen them they're those spiky things that live on the bottom of the uh, ocean floor um and they're extremely ancient so it turns out so they're, they're, they're what we call a kinoderms uh which is just their kind of animal and they come into the fossil record in the early Cambrian times. So what's the significance of the Cambrian period? Before, in the fossil record, there was not much there. There was there was just kind of unicellular stuff, not much going on. And then after the Cambrian period, suddenly you see all this kind of diversity of life with skeletons and all this kind of crazy stuff. And really, that's 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 the basis. When is the Cambrian period? When? How when? when? Uh, yeah. Around 500 million years ago. So between, I think, like 650 and 450, like... So that's before the Wait, dinosaurs, right? 550 and 650. Well, there was no terrestrial life. There was no life on land, not even mm. plants in this period. Mm. And it's the first forms of animal life that, that, that laid the foundation of everything that we have today. And um, mm. it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, 550 to 450 million years ago, uh, mm. 10 times, almost 10 times longer ago than dinosaurs. And mm. plants came onto land actually in the mid-Cambrian period. So sea urchins predate terrestrial plants. Wow. Like it, they are, you're eating something that is at the beginning of animal kind. It's a crazy little creature. It's full of needles. Mm. Those needles are venomous. Um, and they grow all over the always. world. Needles are always venomous. You don't want to step on them. Uh, okay. They will, they will inject you with a venom. So not only are they spiky, the needles and hurt like fuck, but they'll also they'll also inject you with venom. Venom, <laughs> which I find mind blowing but. because it means that all the way back then, at the beginning of the dawn of animal kind, there was venom. <laughs> there was mm. there was things trying to inject other things with chemistry that would mess them up. Uh, mind blowing, um, but mm. yeah. So so. That that's 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 essentially a sea urchin, and it's very simple, right? You can imagine it's very simple, uh, but inside is is full of um, is full of its gonads. Gonads are testes and ovaries. Testes are full of sperm, and the uh, ovaries are full of eggs. And we as humans love this stuff, particularly the Japanese. Japanese eat more than eighty percent of the world supply of of of. Uh, of of sea urchin of uni uni is the gonads of a sea urchin and uh mm-hmm. we both the male and the female apparently you can't really tell the difference in the taste but some say that the male the sperm is sweeter and creamier um so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well there you go and <laughs> and the flavor is a good a good uni a good sea urchin is nice bright yellow or orange 
really like a little jewel. And uh, it's about, I don't know, like I would say the size maybe of the first digit of your index finger. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really creamy and sweet and umami. So now I can go on a number of benders. One is, uh, one is uh, all about umami and how it's, I'd, let's do that and how it's related to sea urchins in particular. So the guy, by the way, or just, just, just stop, just jump into my rant whenever you want, Mike. Um, uh, go ahead. I've also got my clarification notes here about <laughs> about bananas. Oh, I'll do that later. The guy... I thought you clarified. Oh, uh, but not about bananas. Oh, do that at the end. Okay, okay. yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, so, 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 so the guy who came up with this thing, Umami, who identified what it was, was called Kikune Ikeda. And it was 1908. And I believe that was the time that he was... Uh, Either then or, or 1985, Tamimami was recognized as described. And I think after, I don't know if he was the one who isolated the thing that makes things taste umami, or if that came mm. after. But what 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 umami is? So, okay, go ahead. Because this is really important to see. The reason why CH is a prize is because of the super umami thing. The 20% protein, 30% fat, and just exploding with flavor and people love them what's the rest what's the other 50 percent? i guess water <laughs> okay i mean yeah, <laughs> and stuff like yeah, yeah. Um, and then no and <laughs> carbohydrates they're quite high in carbohydrates too they're quite sweet but really? umami comes from glutamates and especially so so you have glutamic acid and that um when it's and that's actually not that umami so the, the, the wait the umami flavor is what you would think of as like a meaty broth. That meaty broth flavor, um, why chicken soup tastes so good and Moorish, but you can't quite put your finger on why. You know, um, you know what I'm talking about, Mike? Mm -hmm. Soy sauce, it makes things taste more Moorish, and you can't quite put your finger mm -hmm. on why. It's not just the salt content; it's also this other. It's the glutamic um, salts. It's, it's a glutamate content mm. as well and glutamates okay. are monosodium glutamate is the most famous additive for umami umami flavor but oh. um is that what msg is that's what msg is monosodium glutamate. exactly that's what msg uh, okay. is okay okay yeah and and so if you want to understand what uh, umami tastes like just add msg to things you might not you you won't be able to taste a difference as marked like if you added sugar but you will be able you would like it more the food it will taste better it'll yeah. taste rounder and more kind of isn't so i i, I thought taste like different flavors there's obviously sweet savory yeah, yeah. um bitter mm -hmm. um salty and i i are oh, sweet salty bitter is there anything else apart from umami sour Sour, yeah. These, and then umami was the most recent discovered one. And and when we say, just to clarify, if, uh, if anyone's confused, discovered, it's because these are actually sensor, um, right. uh, flavors or things that your tongue actually has receptors for. Yeah, exactly. Like specifically, right? Your tongue actually has specific receptors for these five flavors. So we yeah. knew about sweet we knew about salty we knew mm. about bitter we knew about sour before mm. and and umami when we say it was discovered 
it's discovered in that respect, right? As in like a, a natural right. so flavor it was, that your tongue, your tongue actually detects. Exactly. So it's discovered in a number of rounds. So first, I think that scientist, uh, what, what, what was his uh, name? Um, what was his name? Japanese guy, right? The Japanese scientist. Um, he... Uh, he's the one that oh here it is here it is i have it here kikune ikeda he's the one that first proposed you know hey there's this thing i'm tasting in 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 kombu broth and i'm Mm. going to try and isolate what that is and then Mm. he isolated glutamate from um from like pure glutamate from kombu and said that's Mm. what it is but later on people discover that, oh, yeah, that's also the thing which has a receptor on our tongue, and that is actually what we are now going to call umami. So our tongue mm. is, and th- there's, 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 method, there's reason for this. because So it's, it's not taste... like a, an obscure, just like a abstract idea of a no. flavor. It's an actual... And, and it becomes quite fundamental because, like, why, why do we taste things and they, we think they taste good? Like, you know, going a little bit back to the whole vegan thing, like, you know, people say that, oh, you know, meat tastes good, but it's only a taste. No, not quite. Because what we, what, what, the reason why we think things taste good and why we encourage you more of them is because they represent a source of nutrition and calories and all of that to we us. You've evolved the uh, actual... Uh, uh, distinct uh, a way desire, of detecting that, that this thing is the thing that's good for me to eat because it's sweet yeah. so it's got sugar in it mm. and those glucose or those monosaccharide molecules will attach to our tongue and we can then detect hey this is full of monosaccharides mm. full of sugar this is good honey good mm. fruits good sweet things you know full of calories mm. and goodness for us same when it comes to sour because there's lots of vitamin c and things like that in, in, in things that are sour um, mm. bitter to avoid because things that are bitter tend to be poisonous kids hate bitter things because their livers are quite sensitive and they can't uh, process bitter things um often we as humans have just learned that you know yeah broccoli is bitter but it's good you know tea is bitter but it's good mm. um but but mm. generally speaking when you give someone something bitter they say no i don't like it um mm. and yeah. for that reason because it's normally full of toxins. bitter yeah i mean bitter in that sense it's 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 it, we we mentioned the argument that we developed that sensory like um, uh, receptor to actually make ourselves know that we want this, but uh, yeah, it's like a lot of people don't like bitter stuff, right? No. So no. is that because we don't want it, or are yeah, it's because want it? generally speaking, bitter things are, are full of toxins. And mm. and when you taste bitter, you should avoid it. If you're in the wild and you eat something and it's really sweet, um, mm. well, good. But if you taste something that's really bitter, ugh, no, uh, what, what, something's happening to my screen. Can you, maybe I should stop doing this. Um, yeah, exactly. I thought you were just getting really excited and just like pushing the screen up and down. Bitterness. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, bitter compounds can be um, antioxidants. And we've learned like which foods are, are good for us that are bitter and actually grown to enjoy them. But Bitterness is something that you grow to enjoy when you're in, when you're normally an adult. Uh, for that reason, mm. um, you don't kids instantly reject it normally. Like, so to summarize, so, beer so, is good for you. 
So <laughs> beer is good for you. Yeah, beer is good for you. Coffee is good for you. Tea is good for you. Broccoli is good for you. But not um, cyanide. That, I think that also tastes bitter. <laughs> and and uh, but, but the point is, is what do we have to detect proteins? What do we have to detect mm. proteins? So what are the main groups, right? We have protein, macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fats. Well, okay, what about proteins? Umami, umami mm. is, is our sense of mm. amino acid content in food. And it's because it's, it's, glutamate is an amino acid. Also, uh, ribonucleotides are something you're gonna that we be, You're going to well. be very popular with the, uh, the meat eaters right now. Oh, well, soy well. sauce and all this kind of stuff. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make there is, is, is not like eat all the meat in the world uh, because you'll probably have a heart attack and die. But rather yeah, that same with sugars, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything in excess, everything in moderation. They're good for you, but nothing in excess is good for you. Really. Everything in moderation, uh, except moderation itself. Who said that? Was that Orwell? Um, I can't remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> clarification next time. But um, but we should have a whole episode. I think just for clarifications, like one in every five. <laughs> 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 that we could just talk whatever the heck we want to talk about in the, in the podcast itself. No, we, no, we no. We talked a lot of we. Oh, go on. Sorry. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. I mean, what is it? It's 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 glutamic um, glutamate glutamate salts that we're detecting as umami, and it's enhanced with other amino acids, like with the presence of methionine and these other amino acids. We also taste enhanced umami. So when we talk about different kinds of sea urchin umamis, we're talking about different compositions of its glutamate content, ribonucleotide com- content, which which uh, which which we also are detecting as umami and other amino acids, and and also salt helps to enhance enhance it too because um, mm. it's charged. So mm. when you have that, um, you know, I when you dissolve salt in water, it's just floating ions which are charged and that that helps the that 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 helps trigger the the uh, receptor. We taste it even more strongly. Um, mm. hence glutamic acid is not that umami, but glutamates, which are glutamic acid salts, are much more umami to us. And and and, and we, acids are charged, right? Yeah, well, no, it's because yeah, the salts are the glutamic acid salts are, mm. and so so this is what we're doing when we when we're making soy sauce. The reason why soybeans are not that umami, but soy sauce is, and well, soy sauce is, is a fermented soybean, is because you've released through the fermentation the glutamic uh, the the glutamates, and same with wheat it has a lot of glutamic acid, and in the fermentation it becomes <clears throat> a glutamates, and you can make and soy sauce is often made with soy soybeans and wheat same mm. with garum what we you know different kinds of fish sauces all these things that we try to do to make things taste more umami mm. is because yeah we're trying to release the glutam- glutamate content anyway back to sea urchins interesting they okay. what i found really cool so remember what i said that the whole umami concept came from the japanese scientist kikune um, seaweed tasting broth. it in kombu broth and isolating it from kombu. Yeah. Well, where does kombu grow? Hokkaido. Where do uh. the sea urchins come from <clears throat> in the world? Hokkaido. Why? Because they're eating kombu. <laughs> they're eating kombu. Uh. And so they're full of yeah. umami. Um, there's also climate. It's called deep cold water. And um, Do and, and, all and so, sea urchins eat seaweed? I think no. they do, right? Sea urchins. Oh, they don't. 
Why? So here's where it gets mm. really fun. So sea urchins, they eat everything, man. They eat everything. Mm. They eat baby prawns. They eat uh, kombu. They eat everything. And they're omnivores. They just mm. eat whatever comes their way. But this is Detri- why... Are they, de- detri- it's called detritivores. Right? I don't think they're detritivores. They're, they're a kind of omnivore because they are okay. eating at many, many different layers. But they're not eating just like dead stuff that's fallen to the bottom. They'll, they'll climb okay. kombu which are these very, very mm-hmm. tall seaweeds. They'll climb them mm. and they'll eat them as they climb them. And, um, mm. and, and, if they, if, and if a baby prawn comes by, it'll get eaten as well. <laughs> so <laughs> their, their, their location is really important. And in the north of Japan, we have the most umami-rich food, kombu. Uh, mm. And that's what they're feeding off. And so all of the, all of the urchins from Hokkaido are highly priced. But around Japan, outside of Hokkaido, is wakame. That's the seaweed that grows. And so you also have a lot of nice seaweed. Not Hokkaido, not you mean? So other, except, for, except for Hokkaido, you get a different type of seaweed. Uh, around Japan. Around Japan. Kombu grows in the north in Hokkaido. Wakame grows okay. all around. And, um, okay. and, and not as much grows They're in They're less Kishu. umami? Yeah, they're, 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 they're less good. Um, they're less umami. They're less. They they can be more bitter. The the from Kyushu, because they the water is warmer in Kyushu is further south, mm. and there's more wakame, but also more shrimps and stuff. That's their diet. They become uh, apparently not such high quality, not so tasty, a little bit bitter. You can mm. still eat them though. That's that's actually red sea urchins. In Hokkaido, you have two kinds of purple sea urchins. Um, mm. Oh, I heard kinds. as well, like purple surgeons, their gonads are larger as well. So this is the other big thing. This is the other thing that yeah. we like about sea urchins is the size of their gonads, the size of their testes. Yeah. The bigger, <laughs> the better. Yeah. Because because in, in Japan, uh, in, the, in Hokkaido, especially there's just two kinds of very prized species. And I'm going to get their names up now. Uh, their species. I have so many tabs open. <laughs> I'm gonna sort this out for next time. Um, they are uh, Kita Murasaki and mm. Ezo Bafun. So Murasaki, Kita um, Murasaki. Yeah, I I know what that means. What does that mean? It means like purple something. Kita is north. Kita is uh, north. And Murasaki is purple. Okay, so northern purple because Murasaki grows all over Japan, um, but Kita mm. Murasaki is only in Hokkaido, and it's the most prized uni in the world because of its sweetness. It's extremely sweet. Mm. And um, for as well, yeah, as far as uni. As well as umami. As well as umami, but Ezo Bafun, which is the other one, um, is creamy. It's just creaminess. Mm. And it grows, I think, slightly deeper than the Murasaki. Um, and, and, and so, and so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what's going on there. But as you asked before, well, Okay, so if the diet makes a difference and the, and the size they're going to make a difference, where else is it popular? Well, so Japan consumes 80% or 90% of the world's uni, right? And it's because of this they have to import because they domestic supply couldn't handle the um, you know, demand. Do you know where the other big... Uh, uh, it's not just sushi though, right? I mean, in Italy, you can get uni pasta. Oh, right. Well so, like that, right? so, so, yeah. I mean, uh, the other big countries which consume it are France, Italy. Uh, Italy, yeah, you can put it on pasta. It's, it's amazing. 
France, they mm. also use it. Because um, when you say that 80%, it sounds like, okay, that's basically, it's only being used for sushi, but it's, it's, it's you know, loads of other dishes as well, right? You yeah, know? but just to think that, yeah, it's true, but just to think that one set of items, one country that isn't the mm. size of Russia mm. is consuming almost the entire world, not only the entire world, like like everyone is importing. <laughs> so everyone's pretty much fishing at uni and sea urchins and sending them to Japan. Japan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apart from like this one in every like uh, 10 that go to maybe Italy or France or some other countries, like, you know, um, but, but, but it is quite like, you know, crazy when you think about that. So, so they have to, the biggest, imp- the biggest importer is actually America. It's not Russia. Um, America's importer or exporter uh, exporter to Japan. So the biggest place that Japan imports from is, is the U S especially California. And why? Because they have around Catalina Island. There's a lot of, um, uh, um, kelp growing kelp forests and Mm. kelp is a kombu is a kind of kelp. It's, it's, Mm. it's, it's a, I don't know, more umami kind of kelp, but the kelp forest around Catalina Island in California, deep cold waters, the sea urchins there also are of very, very high quality cold water. And apparently this, the water there has more sulfur in it. So they grow bigger. So you have bigger urchins mm. with bigger gonads. And many chefs say that it's it's the best competitor even preferred to Japan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the other... So- the other places are, yeah, well, I can go through it throughout the map of the world for this because I obsess over it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, so if US is the biggest import exporter, sorry, um, has, do you know, did you find out if, uh, <coughs> if uh, the prices and the stock in Japan has uh, suffered greatly because of what's going on so in uh, Ukraine? I know that, I, to be honest, I, I, I didn't get to, what I got to with that was that um, Russia does have the same kinds, the same because that part of Russia actually extends from Japan, right? So you have Hokkaido and then the islands of Hokkaido and then it's Russia. And those mm. islands have the same species, high quality mm. species as Japan does, but as Hokkaido does, but the quality, they're smaller, they're, they're maybe a little bit more bitter. And so they actually go to um they 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 get sold in the middle market in japan they don't get sold in the high quality okay. market they get sold in the middle market in japan yes yeah, a lower quality product but they 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 fulfill demand um mm. california is high quality and mm. then the other places are um canada maine that's atlantic and that and, and green urchins grow in the atlantic um uh, pink ones grow in chile and Chile has 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 a problem because uh, effectively their urchins, their species. So there are nine hundred and fifty species of sea urchins, but only eighteen are edible. And um, yeah. and huh? What about in the Mediterranean? What about that? Uh, are they are they importing or are we'll, they? We'll get to the Mediterranean. I have a story about that too. <laughs> um, okay. A disaster story there too. Um, but but yeah, so Chile is interesting because they have pink sea urchins, but their quality they they they're just not a species that produces very high quality. And the thing is also that when they fish it out, Chile is far away from everywhere and it has to go across Latin America, which is hot. And so they have to apparently store them in water to keep them alive whilst they transport them. But they have to put aluminium in the water to preserve them. 
obviously aluminium is a bit toxic so mm. i mean probably it's it's arriving to europe at food grade standards but still not pretty fact is it that 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 uni from from chile is, has got aluminium in it um then so you were talking about mediterranean and european so yeah there are there is uni around the atlantic what i found out was that there's you get quite big green ones from the faroe islands which is a islands that denmark owns and mm. because the diet of the uni is there is really really different mm. um you it actually apparently doesn't have the rich umami sweetness but it has a very complex long aftertaste and it doesn't taste like your normal uni so diet makes a big big difference and i don't mm. know where and mediterranean i was trying to look for mediterranean uni and i i couldn't find any edible species there um so it's probably not it's probably something that's uh norway does not produce. like a but then how, how, i guess I, that probably means that this uh like uni spaghetti in italy or something is not a dish that is traditional in the sense that it's not it's something that's more recent, like modern, right? Because they, they, they can source it locally. And if it comes from Norway or something, then Ooh, it's probably a more yeah. modern history of uh, uni pasta Italy. Yeah, that's actually a quite a really good point. To be, to be fair, that's um, I, I, actually to be honest with you, I think it could be. It could be that um, it's it's a uh, a Japanese invention because Japanese they have kind of like incorporated their their ingredients into European dishes, um, and you know made them really good. That's one thing the Japanese are very good at. They just you know they make not only good Japanese food but they make incredibly good um, Italian food. And yeah. if you go to an Italian restaurant here in Japan it's great you know it's wonderful like, like that's why that's why there are so many Michelin restaurants in tokyo <laughs> it's true and but apparently everything that people get frustrated with italian food in tokyo because it's just too umami like just want to taste tomatoes why does it taste so umami <laughs> <laughs> japan's the king of the mommy but um but yeah, I, I, I don't know what the history of this is in, in italy it could be like a lot of ingredients in italy you know if it is from norway they would have, I don't know, I don't know, got to, I mean, they, they might have got to Italy. I don't know. I don't know when this was invented. Maybe it was invented mm. more recently. Um, uh, if it's, it won't be like super traditional, I don't think. I mean, the UK has a kind of pink sea urchin as well. Um, it's pretty much bitter, doesn't produce very big gonads. So it's not really eaten in the UK. Uh, mm. When I was in the Mediterranean, there was purple when I was in Croatia, when we were kayaking, there were urchins in the water, and um, we thought we'd we'd uh, we were on one of the islands. We just thought we'd we'd eat one, and it was just a disaster because it basically had basically killed this thing, and it had no gonads, so it was kind of no no point <laughs> in doing it. It was a lot of blood, <laughs> and uh, or a lot of like red purpley liquid. And so are they seasonal as well? Then only sometimes of the year they have. This is pets. this is the other funny part. So so we have to harvest them when the gonads are the biggest. So it's just before yeah. they spawn. So they have a hole on top or underneath somewhere. And apparently, if you put ten volts of uh, ten volts across them, um, they they kind of just spew out. 
their eggs or sperm and you can tell if they're male or female that way well before they do that naturally they're filling up with sperm and eggs and 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 their uni their gonads and and you want to catch them just before they release it or so you want to catch them yeah um normally in the northern hemisphere the winter time between uh, november and april um that's that's the high time to we actually traveled almost to Wakanai, the end of Japan, to find uni. That's another story. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wakanai means what we again? Can do, we can, I don't we can know. do like one of our, our travels in um, Japan because you've got some interesting stories from there. And we can I do got, one yeah. of our travels in Colombia as well. It's true. We can. We can. Um, and then um, other places. I don't know if there was anything else that I wanted to add to that. Oh, yeah. There was one thing I want to add. Like, to this whole uni thing, sea urchin thing. So we, 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 we've been through what they are, why they taste so good, where in the world they're from. But also, they there is such a, there is actually a need to consume more of these right now because they, um, well, they're it's kind of complicated because, yeah, you, you get these things called mm. sea urchin barons. And... Well, that's what happened with um, with the um, hunters killing all the uh, the otters, sea otters in California, right? They so they and it and it, the knock on effect was you, we, I remember learning this in um, university. Um, <laughs> really, the knock on effect of hunting over hunting uh, sea otters in California was that it just devastated the fish stocks, and people were like, "What? How did this happen?" So they found out it's because the the sea otter is a keystone species because it, mm. it they eat these sea urchins and if they're gone the sea urchins uh become too numerous they eat all the kelp and the kelp forests are are, uh, are nurseries for fish mm. oh, okay for young fish there you go and then once uh, once uh, you did that uh, all the fish were were stocks were depleted not depleted but they went down a lot yeah but this is this is so yeah. Global sea urchin supply has re- demands gone up, but sea urchin supply has gone down because um, because of fishery damage, and and whilst this also go down in some pl- pl- places, it's actually just exploded. Like what you're talking about, um, this really damaging effects of sea urchin explosions, population explosions. And when I research it, the most annoying thing is is that. I can barely find any information about the human causes of this. It's like mm. it's like that that somehow people don't really want to publish. Like it's it's people that are causing fisheries to be damaged. There's a lot about climate doing stuff. Um, so like yeah. the, and and this is true um, as well. Like there was this thing called the blob, which was this piece of warm water that entered the California key water, um, that cold water for a while. Anyway, long story short, the blob warmed up the water. It meant that this uh, starfish with 20 legs, starfish with 20 mm. legs that ate all the sea urchins started to get disease. <laughs> and then it went down. I think this was time. Yeah, I think maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's what it's called. And it meant that all the, the sea urchins sorry. exploded <laughs> in population. They ate all the, all the, all, they, they just ate the roots of all the kelp and the whole kelp forest is done now. You've got this whole barren wasteland of just purple sea urchins in California. So I know what I gotta do. Yeah. I gotta go out and I've got to eat a whole load of uni. That's, that's it. That's, that's the message. End on a high note. Unfortunately, 
I I will I will I'll take on this responsibility. I it's I think uh, it's going to be very tough. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't like to do it, but I'll do it for the sake of uh, the fisheries. For the, for the sake of the fisheries. For the fish. Just get some lionfish, put it in some uni sauce, and uh, yeah, happy days, happy days. Well, <laughs> Mike, I think I think I've uh, I'm all need out <laughs> I, think I uploaded all my excitement um I've, I've learned a lot i have to say i've learned a lot so <laughs> same same it's always interesting yeah uh, i hope well, everyone else has learned a lot as well and i hope that everyone yeah, really, take away from this really cool and that. also now Be understands close. i think you know what umami uh, learning about umami is also you know something that's really interesting we'll talk more think, about it uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, to me, before umami was this kind of obscure flavor as well, that I couldn't quite identify. But I think now, hearing about how it's it's like the uh, it is the receptor for fats and uh, uh, proteins, and proteins. Yeah, I think no now I can understand it better, and I think I can isolate that flavor a bit more. That's cool. So I hope everyone That's else cool. can also take the same thing away from it as well. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely picked up some stuff about flying fish. <laughs> mm. some crazy <laughs> visuals about salmon and bears biting them with like eggs flying at the other end <laughs> but, yeah yeah always a pleasure and uh and uh, let's let's uh catch up with well yeah <laughs> next week talk to you next catch week. up with each other next week i guess if we have to and and yeah, yeah. and 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 uh, if anyone has any questions in the audience yeah definitely we're, we're here to answer them in our clarification session <laughs> yeah. maybe as a whole segment <laughs> yeah cool yeah all right awesome awesome well until next week then chetan yes 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 i look forward to it like every week. See you later, guys. See you later, guys.